welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following is a series of four separate devotions preached for our children's Christmas service on December 16th, 2018. They are based on the four songs that are part of the Christmas story in the Gospel of Luke. So what would you have sung if you were Zechariah? After thousands of years of waiting, the time had finally come for God to act. And so Zechariah could forget about the past. He could forget about centuries of troubled history for his people Israel and decades of shame and frustration for he and his wife as they struggled to conceive a child. All of that was behind him. Things were about to get better. We call that hope, don't we? And hope is still a very important part of our lives, certainly at Christmas. We naturally want to believe that no matter what we might be going through, no matter how bad things might get, at some point things are going to get better. In fact, some would say that hope is necessary for our health and even for our very survival. But that raises an important question, doesn't it? How do you really know? We can tell ourselves all day long that things are going to get better, but, but how do you really know? How can you be certain? A very popular Christmas song is all about the concept of hope. In fact, you're probably most familiar with the version of that song sung by Frank Sinatra back in 1957. And it's entitled, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. You maybe even know the words. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. From now on, our troubles will be out of sight. And then the bridge of that song goes, Here we are as in olden days, happy golden days of yore, faithful friends who are dear to us, gather near to us once more. Such a happy song, right? Things had been bad, but now things are going to get better. Well, did you know that that version of the song sung in 1957 was very different from the original version that was sung by Judy Garland back in 1944 as part of the musical Meet Me in St. Louis? In that musical, there's a family that's distraught over the fact that the husband is taking a new position in New York, forcing the family to leave behind the life that they love in St. Louis. And Judy Garland's character is trying to console her little sister, but she doesn't have much consolation to give. In fact, the original words written for that song were actually much more depressing. They needed to be pepped up a little bit. Even for that musical, the original version goes like this. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. This may be your last. Next year, we may all be living in the past. And that bridge that was, was so fun and upbeat, it went like this. No good times as in olden days, happy golden days of yore. Faithful friends who are dear to us, gather near to us no more. Quite a different song, isn't it? So who's right? Are things going to get better or are things only going to get worse? And again, that all-important question, how do you really know? Well, Zechariah knew. And it wasn't just because he had a hunch. It wasn't because it was something he wanted to believe deep, deep down in his heart. No, he knew because he had come to learn that God always keeps his word. God had promised and promised and promised and promised, and now God was going to act. And what that meant for Zechariah was that all of those promises that God had made that were still out there, still hanging, Promises to deliver us from evil. Promises to dry every tear from our eyes. Promises to bring us to a place where those who are near to us will gather near to us forevermore. Each one of those is a promise. Not that God has not kept. Each one is a promise that God has not kept just yet. 
but we know that he will. No matter what we might be going through, no matter how hard life gets, things will get better. Why? Because God always keeps his word. So what would you have sung if you were Mary? She had just received this incredible news that the time had come for God to send his son. And of course, this was a gift that God was giving to the whole wide world for every single person on earth. And yet it was also a very special gift just for Mary. She would get to be the mother of God's son. She would carry and deliver and care for and raise the very son of God. And she knew already then what we know now, that all over the world and for the rest of recorded history, people would know Mary's name because of this. Which raises another important question. Why? Why her? We spend a lot of time at Christmas, of course, thinking about presents, buying presents, wrapping presents. And we also hear Christmas songs that answer that important question, that tell us why some people receive some gifts and other people receive others. Songs like, you better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. He knows when you are sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. Good, you know the answer then, right? Why some people receive some gifts and other people receive others, it's because of behavior, correct? Whether it's Santa Claus or an elf on the shelf, someone is always watching, someone is always keeping score, and what we end up receiving ultimately depends on what we have been doing. And I suppose it's not entirely a bad thing for kids to learn that lesson at some point in their lives as they grow up. After all, that's how life works, isn't it? It's how life works in the classroom and the office and the marketplace. Actions have consequences. Hard work pays off. Higher sales leads to a higher commission. And yet the problem is that so easily and so often we apply that very natural and normal way of thinking to our relationship with God. We think that the blessings we look to him for, either in this life or in the life to come, are ultimately connected to our behavior. That he's always watching, that he's always keeping score, and that what we end up receiving ultimately depends on what we've been doing. In fact, a lot of people, even a lot of Christians, think that that's what was going on with Mary, that the reason she got this gift was because of something she had done. Thankfully, Mary knew better. And her song was about something far better. Mary had learned in this whole process something very important about our God, that God takes that natural, normal, Santa Claus way of thinking and he turns it completely upside down. Yes, someone is always watching. Yes, watching even when we are sleeping. Yes, he knows just how bad we have been, and yet he is still so good for us, good to us. Why? For his own goodness sake. Mary knew that God brings down the proud and lifts up the humble. Mary's song was about what every song, thanking God for his blessings, ought to be about. It is a song not about our goodness, but a song about God's grace. So what would you have sung if you were those angels. The night had finally arrived, which meant that the angels got to sing about something that we love to sing about at Christmas, peace. Peace on earth. No more war. No more road rage. No more online tirades or social media mobs. No more sibling rivalry. No more mom and dad fighting in front of the kids. Peace on earth. 
Of course, as we well know, peace on earth has been a bit of a tough nut to crack over the years, hasn't it? And our Christmas songs sort of prove that. The song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, was written back in 1863 and lamented the lack of peace because of the American Civil War. The song, I'll Be Home for Christmas, sung by Bing Crosby in 1943, was about a group of people that would be home for Christmas, but only in their dreams because they were soldiers off fighting in World War II. Finally, the song, Happy Christmas, sung by John Lennon and Yoko Ono in 1971, was a protest aimed at trying to bring the Vietnam War to an end. What a a sad and bitter irony that so many Christmases have come and gone, not with peace on earth, but with the world at war. Which again raises an important question. How do we stop it? How do we stop all the fighting? There is a, a Christmas song that proposes an answer to that question. It wasn't originally written as a Christmas song, but it's sort of turned into one. And it's got one line that repeats over and over again. It says, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. The song is all about living in harmony with one another and taking personal responsibility for that. And, and okay, I get it. Good enough, I suppose. But there's one thing I do know, that if there is going to be peace on earth, it isn't going to begin with me. And here's why. For you and I to have any hope of living at peace with one another, we first need a bigger peace, a better peace, a transcendent peace. We need peace with God. We can maybe think of it this way, that if you picture a a football team full of whatever there are, 45, 50 players, not all of whom necessarily get along, as long as that football team is winning, as long as they are defeating their common opponent, it has a way of, of helping everybody stay on the same page and get along. But as soon as they start losing, it has a funny way of causing them to fight with one another too. If there's going to be peace on earth, it cannot begin with you or me, because by nature we know that we do not have peace with our God. And so as a result, we go looking for fights with other people too. We compare ourselves to others, being resentful of those we deem better than us, condescending toward those we deem worse. We're quick to be harsh, critical, and judgmental, thinking that if we can just tear other people down, then it'll boost ourselves up. No, if there is going to be any hope of peace on earth, it is certainly not going to begin with us. And thankfully, the angels knew that. So that as they sang in those skies above Bethlehem, they didn't just sing about peace on earth, they sang about something too, they, something else too. They sang glory to God in the highest heaven. All of the praise and all of the credit for any peace that is to be found on earth belongs to God. God himself brought that war between us and him to an end, and he did so by becoming that war's chief casualty. By sending his only son, born in a manger and later hung from a cross, You and I now have a member of our human race, of our side, sitting right at the right hand of God, a symbol of the fact that God and mankind are now at peace with one another and a guarantee that one day there will be a spot there for us too. Will that cause peace to break out all over the earth? I'm not expecting it. But I do know this, that if there is going to be peace in our lives, peace with our families, peace in our homes, and peace at our tables, It cannot begin with us. As those angels sang, peace on earth begins in heaven. So what would you have sung if you were Simeon? Simeon also sang 
about peace, but in the Jewish culture, peace wasn't just something about the ending of a conflict between two parties that were at war. You've maybe even heard the Hebrew word for peace before. It's the word shalom. It means that everything is complete. Everything is perfect. Everything is exactly how it should be. Nothing is missing. Nothing is out of place. And that, too, raises a very important question. What would it take? What would it take for you to have peace, for you to have shalom this Christmas? There certainly are plenty of Christmas songs that propose an answer to that question. Some people are simply dreaming of a white Christmas, and that's enough to make them happy. For other people, it's the parties for hosting and marshmallows for roasting and caroling out in the snow, and, and poof, we, voila, we've got a wonderful, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Back in 1954, there was a woman named Eartha Kitt who perhaps made the most extensive list of demands in her famous song, Santa Baby. She asked for a sable fur coat, a convertible, and a yacht, among many, many other things. And then, of course, there's Mariah Carey back in 1994. She said, I don't want a lot for Christmas. There is just one thing I need. I don't care about the presents underneath the Christmas tree. Make my wish come true. Baby, all I want for Christmas is you. Very good. So what would it take for you to have shalom this Christmas? For Simeon, the answer was simple. He too had been waiting for a long, long time, and just one look is all that he needed. He looked at the Savior with his own eyes. He held him in his arms, and that was it. He sang, Lord, you now dismiss your servant in peace. Might I suggest that the old man had it right? In the weeks leading up to Christmas, we've been worshiping under this theme of undercover Christmas, the idea that God often puts his greatest gifts in the places we'd least expect to find them, and that is certainly true when it comes to this concept of shalom or peace. See, whether it's long or short, we all have our list, don't we? A list of things that we tell ourselves, if only we had that, that would make us happy. And we also tell ourselves that the the real challenge of life, the real difficulty of life is that we never quite get it. We never quite have all of our hopes and dreams fulfilled. The problem is that there are plenty of people and people in a position to know who would say just the opposite. Famous athletes, musicians, movie stars, millionaire CEOs, people who would tell you that the real problem and the real difficulty of life is not that you never get everything that you want, it's when you get everything that you've always wanted and realize that it wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. That your life is as full as it could possibly be and yet somehow still feels so empty. Might I suggest that the old man had it right. That in our Savior Jesus, we have everything that we could possibly want. We have the solution to our greatest problems. We have deliverance from our greatest enemies. We have a guarantee that all of our biggest and best hopes and dreams will one day come true. And so we too can sing right along with Simeon. Go ahead and buy lots of presents this Christmas. Go ahead and spend lots and lots of time thinking about that perfect gift for him or for her. Go ahead and even make it a December to remember with that Lexus parked out on the driveway. Do all of it, but, but don't do it because you think it will bring you shalom. 
Instead, you'll have to find that blessing somewhere else. You'll have to find that blessing undercover where God has promised to give it. Just as Jesus was brought to the temple 40 days after his birth, so also Jesus continues to be present where he promises to be found, right here in his house, where his word and his sacraments are found. Where we too can see and hear and even taste and touch the Lord's own salvation. And we too, like Simeon, can go in peace. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.